Superlight Episode 11, Rock Hatfield, best-selling author, producer, and innovator, reads his new groundbreaking novel, Superlight. The author blends myths and ideas from the ancient astronaut theory and the Hebrew Bible to tell a story that will open the mind to new possibilities in distant worlds, all under the creation of the One. This is Superlight. Captain Carpenter waits for a response from behind the door of her quarters. It's Herman Johnson, he says. I have a priority memo from Space Force Director Alan Hirsch. Barbara opens the door just a crack and then sticks her hand out. Johnson places the memo in hand. Barbara pulls the memo inside and reads it. What the fuck, Johnson? I will be down to the Situation Room in 15. See if you can get Antarctica on the sat phone. Johnson walks into the Situation Room, a room packed with video walls. A dozen officers sitting at computer consoles. They monitored near space and the whole planet from here. Weathered, news, military feeds, satellites, communications, traffic, airspace, just about everything that moves can be brought up on a monitor from this room. Captain on deck. An officer says as Captain Carpenter walks into the room. Okay, listen up. The captain says, I just received a priority memo from the director of operations, and he says, I quote, this is not an exercise. Large object inbound at above normal speed observable from the South Pole, currently 50 to 75 million miles out, moving at estimated 1 million mile per hour, priority level 1. That's the memo, what assets do we have at the South Pole? The computers are clacking, we have two weather satellites, NASA has a big deep field telescope down there. Okay, let's turn those weather birds around and then see if we can wake someone up at that NASA station, Barbara barks. One airman calls out, I have Nessa Galay Leo on the line. Barbara picks up the line, hey someone getting a coffee. Hello, who am I speaking with? This is Dr. Marlov, station chief. How can I help you, captain? Hey, good morning, doctor. Well, it's actually about 3.30 in the afternoon, the doctor interrupts. Oh, sorry, it's still early 8am here. Doc, I have an urgent request, and it's a priority from Space Force. We are tracking a large object inside the solar system, 50 to 75 million miles out. It's approaching from directly at 12 o'clock above your location. I have the last known location here. Okay, Captain, if you want to log into our video feed, I will give you the passwords. I can aim the telescope at the section of the sky you have coordinates for. Okay, Doctor, sounds good. We have the video feed up on our monitor. What's the password? Orion 1, the doc says. Awesome, we can see some stars on our monitor. Great, the doctor says. I will change the lens so we can look a little closer. You can see that something is moving slowly in the bottom left corner of the screen, the doctor says. Let me see if I can get in closer at that object. The doctor adjusts the large telescope. There we can see it a little better. Um, very interesting. Any idea what that might be, doctor? Well, right off I can't say. It is moving extremely fast in our direction. So whatever it is, it would completely obliviate the Earth if it hit us at that speed. So... Let's hope it passes by. I am not aware of any natural object that moves at that speed. If it is a natural object, it's one for the record books. Which leaves me to believe that it's an unnatural object. You mean a spacecraft? Is that what you are thinking, Doctor? Barbara asks. Yes, Captain, it could be a spacecraft. A very large one at that. How big do you think it is? I would say the vicinity of 12 to 15 miles long. That's a big spacecraft, Barbara says. Okay, Dr. Marlov, we will stay in contact. Please continue to monitor our visitor, and we will stay in touch. Thank you for all of your help this afternoon. 
President Andrew Delman Grant sits at his Oval Office desk, fielding phone calls from a list of unhappy world leaders. He's had enough for one day. An assistant pokes her head in the door. Mr. President, I have an urgent call from Director Hirsch over at Space Force. Okay, put him through. Good morning, Director, the President says. Alan, when are we going to get out and chop at some golf balls again? The President says with a little chuckle. You let me know, Mr. President. Say, I just wanted to brief you on a situation. We have tracked a large and extremely fast-moving object headed in our direction. It is coming up from below our planet. If you look straight up from the Antarctic with a telescope, you can see it. That's crazy. Anything to be worried about, Alan? The President asks. I don't know. I have a few of our best Space Force people on it. I will let you know if the situation changes. Well, thank you, Director, and get those clubs polished up. I am ready for a rematch. Brad, Oscar, and Steven have loaded the Durango into the back of a big tractor-trailer rig. They are driving cross-country with the Space Force officer who is driving the big rig. Brad notices a sticker on the door of the truck U.S. Department of Defense, registration number 300,177 United States Government. Brad pulls out his phone and calls Walter. Hey, what's up? Brad says, we are on the way to get the production gear. How are you guys making out? Good things are good, Walter says. Brad and I saw you with the production rigs the morning of our first trial. You walked past my window wearing a black windbreaker and a polo shirt. I remember thinking that was weird. Then, only five minutes later, you were in your suit and tie. Wow. That's crazy, Walter. It must have been someone else. No, I am pretty sure it was you. Well, that is weird. Anyway, I will be back tomorrow night. You guys get to work on the mobile. I'll get the production rigs. Brad hangs up. Brad realizes he has on a black breaker and a white polo shirt. The Situation Room is now on full tilt. A number of other Space Force bases are on alert and monitoring the Pine Bluff station feeds. The weather satellites have been turned around and are looking outward. They are generating extremely high-resolution images. Dr. Marlavathanesagala Leo Deep Space Telescope has fine-tuned the His Big Eye and is now producing very clear images of the object. This object is reflecting sunlight like a big sparkly car. It is made of a very reflective material, Dr. Marlov comments. Doctor, can we get an idea of a trajectory on its current path? How close will it pass us? Barbara questions. Captain, I think it may be too early to tell. But it is currently headed into our backyard, that's a given. Be it anywhere within a million miles away is considered a razor-clean shave. Something we need to prepare for it is, what if it is a spacecraft? Is it just passing through the neighborhood, or is it going to stop by and say hello? I will be able to tell if it is in fact a craft in just a few hours. One last thing, Doctor, can, can you tell if it is emitting any radio energy? Barbara asks. I do not have any capability to listen for radio emissions. It would be a good idea to contact Arius Radio Telescope at Cape Stiggs. Thanks, Doctor. Is that a government installation? No, I think it is sponsored by one of the big tech companies. All right, thanks, Dr. Marlov. Barbara stomps her foot. Damn it, I hate to do this, but I need that radio telescope. Johnson, get with Major West and put a fast action team on a plane and fly down there and take control of that telescope. Be nice, but we can't let any intel get out of that building. If this situation goes sideways, we could all be in some big trouble. At West call me once he is airborne. Excelsior Andrew L. is resting in his quarters on board the blade. He reaves a call over his comm device, which is part of his corporal robe. Excelsior, we have what appears to be Anunnaki approaching Atlantai M. It is a starboard-class vessel. I am surprised they would venture this far from their sector of the galaxy, Excelsior Andrew L. says. 
Would you like to move the blade in for a better look, your highness? Asks his number one. Yes, perhaps we should. Let's return to the station and monitor them from there. If we need to step in, we can. But I would like to see what they have in mind, the Excelsior says. Yes, your highest. Brad and his team have made it to Boston, driving all night and now just entering the city. The advanced photonics campus is off the interstate. The driver of the big rig, Terrence suggests they stop at a truck stop and unload the Durango. Brad says, there is a jet stop just ahead, five miles maybe. It's a good spot, we can park, and you guys can eat something while I take care of biz. We're going to need a deserted spot to launch from, somewhere remote and undeveloped, Stephen says. The big rig rolls down off the interstate and turns into the big truck stop. Terrence finds a good parking spot at the back of the massive parking lot. Ready, Oscar says. Brad nods yes. Let's get in the Durango and I will go over the controls with you. Terrence opens the rear doors on the trailer and Oscar, Stephen and Brad climb up and gather inside the Durango. Terrence is setting up the ramp while the team go over the operations to be performed. Stephen lifts open the top of the unit and reveals a group of switches and dials. Look Brad, you don't need to be concerned with all this. It's just monitoring readouts. These two big selectors are all that matters to you. This one turns on the unit. Stephen motions with his hand over the selector switch. This way off, this way on. When the unit is up and ready to use, this green light will come on. When you first turn it on, the light will be red. When it's ready, it will be green. Easy, right? Brad nods yes, easy, he says. Okay, turn the selector left to go back in time, and turn it right to go forward. Stephen points to the selector. The middle position is idle. So that's it. I will be with you when you leave, but you are on your own when you go back, Stephen says. Seems pretty easy, so the batteries are charged and ready to go. Brad asks. It has nuclear batteries, so they're always charged. Okay, let's go. Terrence climbs into the driver's seat of the Durango and backs it gently down, the ramp and onto the parking lot. Man, that thing sounds nice, Brad says. 707 horsepower, Stephen quips. Terrence is now pulling out a big black SUV that Stephen and Oscar will use to follow the Durango. Brad mentions that there is a big open field along the river, just up this service road. Okay, it sounds perfect, we will follow you. Brad leads them down an access road and out onto a large open lot, no one around. Oscar and Stephen jump out. Okay, we have set the unit for four days back. You will travel for an hour and a half more or less. It should be gay time when you get there, but it could be night. It's not that accurate, Oscar says. Remember, this is going to be uncomfortable. It's going to be pitch black outside the windows, because you are going to be in a gravity well, and light can get in. Once the unit shuts off, you will see light outside again, and you can drive the Durango to your destination. When you return, try and get as close to this location as possible. Look for the print version of Superlight where you buy books. Superlight is part of the Atlantean Network, a collection of books, videos, and podcasts. You can find all things Atlantium on Amazon, Lulu, YouTube, Twitter, and Facebook. Until next time, power and glory to the one.